Hello, this is Craig Brown, and welcome to Passages. Passages is a space to explore upcoming Bible passages used in churches for preaching, reflection, and prayer. My hope is that new passages of God's grace will be revealed to us. If you're a preacher or a person preparing to hear a preached sermon, passages will shine a unique light on the text used in the lectionary in the coming weeks. The passage I want to share with you today is from Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 12. And it's a passage of scripture that has to do with a, um, a trial of sorts in which Peter and uh, John were brought before the ruling council of the Sanhedrin to address how they went about healing a person in the city of Jerusalem at the gate called Beautiful. The city had different gates in which you could enter into it, and Peter and John had healed a person who had sat at that gate and had begged alms for years and years and years. And so this particular passage of scripture in Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 12, is the lectionary reading for the fourth Sunday after Easter, which in the case of 2021 is April the 25th. And really the crux of this entire passage boils down to a question that's put to Peter and John by the Sanhedrin. And the question is this, by what power or in what name have you done this? Done what? Well, you'll need to go back and read earlier in chapter 4 and even in chapter 3 about after, how after the day of Pentecost, Peter and John were coming to the temple to pray. And as they came, they found a man there that had been brought to the temple every day begging for alms who was unable to walk. And Peter and John told the man that silver and gold we do not have, but what we have we give you. And in the name of Jesus Christ, pick up your pallet, in other words, what he was sitting on or laying on, and walk. And he did. He got up and walked. It created a great commotion in Jerusalem. And so because of that, Peter and John were taken into custody by the religious authorities. And they were brought before a, a tribunal of sorts, a religious tribunal. And that tribunal is called the Sanhedrin. So the question that the Sanhedrin put to Peter and John is simply this. By what power or in what name have you done this? So who's asking the question? Well, it's the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a, a ruling body within the Jewish community in Jerusalem during the first century, and it was made up of 70 leaders plus one. And typically it would be 35 leaders from uh, the Sadducees or those who were part of the temple or priestly uh, ritual, and then 35 leaders from the Pharisees or the scribes or the law. Uh, the Jewish community during this first century was divided into a number of different uh, movements, but two of the primary ones were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees and the priests who were devoted to the temple ritual, the uh, scri uh, scribes and the Pharisees who were devoted to the teaching of the law in the synagogue or in local communities. So 35 leaders from each, totaling together 70 plus one, and that one would have been the high priest. And the way it reads in Acts is that Annas is the high priest, but that's not quite exactly right. Annas used to be the high priest, and it's currently his son-in-law, Caiaphas, who's the high priest. So get the picture. This is the same Sanhedrin that had put Jesus on trial just a few weeks earlier. This is the same group that Peter and John are now appearing in after Jesus' resurrection, after the day of Pentecost, giving an account of what they've done. Well, 
why are the Sanhedrin asking? Well, Peter and John healed this man by the beautiful gate and were very clear that that healing was performed in the name of Jesus. It caused a great commotion in the crowd and, and a number of people believing in Jesus. You can read in chapter 4 of Acts and verse 4 about how 5,000 people came to faith because of this great miracle performed by Peter and John. It created commotion. And so the Sanhedrin were concerned that the people were being kind of stirred up in a similar way in which they had been stirred up during the final week of Jesus's life and ministry in the city of Jerusalem. But notice the question they're asking. They're not asking whether the man was healed or not, or whether Peter and John were able to heal the man. The question they ask is, by what power or in what name have you done this? What power or what name? Peter and John are unequivocal. They say it's in the name of Jesus they've done this. You see, the name of Jesus is not magic. Um, Doing something in the name of a person in the biblical sense means you represent the one in whose name it was done. Uh, There's a similar example when we talk about the difference for, let's say, between the word apostle and disciple. The word for apostle in Greek is apostolos. The word for disciple is methetes. A, A disciple means a follower or a committed adherent. It was a common word used within the Jewish community to refer to those who were uh, the followers or the adherents of different rabbis or different teachers. Apostles, on the other hand, were not necessarily adherents or followers, but this word apostle is really grounded more in a verb, apostello, and it means to be sent with a commission. And so when we talk about The difference between an apostle and a disciple, an apostle is someone who's sent out with a commission, whereas a disciple is a follower. And it has a lot to do with the name of Jesus, that apostles are sent in the name of Jesus. And it's this name of Jesus that's important. It's not a magic recipe. It's it's not some kind of incantation, despite the fact that almost all Christians end their prayers by saying, in the name of Jesus, we pray. The name of Jesus is very important, and we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But they ask Peter and John, the Sanhedrin ask, by what power or in what name have you done this? And they're clear. They have done what they've done in the name of Jesus. Well, Peter and John, of course, are the ones answering that question. And they're answering that question to the same people that accused Jesus of his own crimes weeks earlier. But at least the Sanhedrin are asking, the people are asking, by what power or in what name have you done this? I heard a talk a number of years ago by a missiologist named Michael Frost. And the title of the the talk he gave was called Living a Questionable Life. And, And what Frost was suggesting as a missiologist is that Uh, the the primary work that Christians have to carry out in the world as their evangelistic effort is to live a life worthy of questioning, that we engage in acts of justice or compassion or ways in which we live with other people, that it evokes curiosity, that it provokes questions being asked. You see, a good witness is going to have to explain what they've seen or heard. And so, when we witness what God is doing, even when we witness firsthand what God is doing, like Peter or John, we become witnesses to it. So when Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, they're asked, 
by what power or in what name have you done this? Witnesses are asked what they've seen and heard. The question I think Michael Frost puts to us is this, is in our life as Christian people, is anyone asking about what we've seen or what we've done? Is anyone curious? Is anyone engaged? Is anyone wondering? Are we living lives that evoke curiosity where anyone might come to us and say, tell me about your values, why you do what you do, why you live the way you live, why do you function in this world in the way in which you function? Frost is inviting us to think about a life of curiosity and that if we're truly living our lives in the power and the name of Jesus, perhaps somebody should be asking us. Well, in verses 7 to 12, Peter and John answer the question that's been put to them by the Sanhedrin. And really what it is, there's a little bit of a play on words here in the original language. And and the word I want to teach you is the word sozo. It's the word in Greek for salvation. And it's an interesting play on words because the word sozo not only means saved or salvation, but it also means healed or even restored at times. And it occurs twice in just this short little passage of Scripture, verses 7 to 12 in Acts 4, when they describe how the the man at the beautiful gate was healed, that's the word sozo. And then when they get to the end of their discussion with the Sanhedrin in verse 12, where they say that there's no other name that has been given among people by which we must be saved, that's the word sozo again. You see, the witness to what has occurred cannot be disembodied from what was done. The words of witness and the act witnessed must be together. And so this is important for us. Doing unexplained acts of compassion and justice is insufficient. And likewise, explaining God's grace and love outside of our actions is also insufficient. There's something I see time and again in the life of the church, and I see it especially within my own denomination of the United Methodist Church, is that there's oftentimes a conflation of talking and doing. Oftentimes when things erupt on the the national scene or in the news, Uh, Leaders are quick to make statements about these things. They're quick to make some type of offering of their own thought, which is incredibly important. I, I would never underestimate the value of that. But what I would say is that oftentimes what we do is we conflate talking about something with actually doing something. And as Wesleyan people, we're called to be engaged in the act of doing of this form of uh, social holiness in which we engage as a community, social, in the world in a way that brings justice and compassion into being. You see, witness, being a witness, and the act witnessed go together. They, They can't be separated. And so when we're talking about this word sozo, we're talking about the healing that comes, of course, to this person at the beautiful gate now, but the salvation that comes to us all. 
we've witnessed a healing, but we bear witness to salvation. So again, doing unexplained acts of compassion and justice is insufficient. In the same way, explaining God's grace and love outside of our actions are insufficient. We cannot conflate talking and doing, which to be honest, much of social media has a corner on that market, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it might be. The ease in which we can now conflate talking about something and doing something has never been more blurred. We'll come back to this in just a moment, but let it be said that a witness witnesses something. And what we witness and how we witness about it should, as Michael Frost suggested, evoke some curiosity, some wondering. When Peter and John answer this question, not only do they talk about what happened, but they also talk about what it meant. And this is an important part of witnessing what had occurred. What it meant was this, and as the, uh, the account is given to the Sanhedrin, Peter and John uh, talk about this name of Jesus, this Jesus that you're talking about, this Jesus, and they say quite demonstratively, you crucified and God raised. And, and it's putting these two against each other is, is kind of a powerful way in which Luke, who the writer of Acts, tells the story. This Jesus, in whose name this miracle was done, this Jesus you crucified, it's this same Jesus that God raised. You see, they name Jesus again here, praying and acting in Jesus's name. And I spoke a moment ago how we'd come back to what it means to uh, do something or to pray something in the name of Jesus. When we say things like in the, in the name or the way of Jesus, that helps us understand this historic meaning a little bit better. In the ancient world, if you were sent as a messenger to go deliver a message to someone else and you were sent in the name of that person, that means when you arrived as the messenger, you were treated exactly the same as if the person giving the message was there. So in a sense, you're not yourself anymore as much as you are now the representative of the one who sent you. So in this sense, we're more than imitators we're representatives. And so when we talk about praying in the name of Jesus, what we're saying is that we're praying for that which Jesus is praying for, that we're representing Jesus in the way we pray, the way we act, the way in which we live. So doing things or saying things in the name of Jesus should come with a degree of caution, but at the same time, it, it has a degree of potency to it, that that we bring the name, the authority of Jesus into the place in which we're bearing witness. And being a witness is about being a signpost. And, and this is tremendously freeing because we're no longer reliant on thinking that we have to be educated or we have to have some kind of theological background. Being a witness is nothing more than telling people what we've seen and heard. Even if we keep reading this text in Acts chapter 4, the verse right after the passage that ends the text we're in, it talks about how the Sanhedrin looked at the men, Peter and John, and it says in verse 13 that they were uneducated and untrained men. 
and the Sanhedrin were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You see, the freedom here is this, is that in order to be a witness, you don't need to be an expert. You simply need to be able to bear witness to what you've seen and heard. And that's what Peter and John do as so-called uneducated and untrained men. With the power of the Holy Spirit, they become remarkable witnesses. But Peter and John don't leave it there. They don't just bear witness to what was done. They then go on to take it one more step to talk about what we must do. See, public opinion here is of no matter. They even quote scripture saying that the the stone that the builders rejected, that there's always going to be a reason to reject their witness. There's always going to be a reason to think that what they've seen or heard is of no value. But there is a reason. And this is that word sozo. Remember that word for salvation we talked about a minute ago? What they tell the, the Sanhedrin is that what they've witnessed means something. And what it means is that there is salvation, they say, in no one else. You know, Acts, as a book, presents a dramatic choice about Jesus. It, it paints a very vivid picture that um, each one of us have a choice to make about Jesus, that Jesus is not benign. He's not just another actor. He invites action, a choice. And Peter and John unapologetically put this choice in front of the Sanhedrin. Can you imagine the courage that takes place here, that this notion of salvation isn't just for the man at the beautiful gate who was healed by Peter and John, nor is it even just for Peter and John, but that this salvation is actually for all people, that God invites all to experience the fullness of this saving act. And it's that saving act that Peter and John present to the Sanhedrin. God, there's such great freedom in being a witness. Not, not only is, a, is some kind of theological education not required, but the great freedom of being a witness is that we actually don't have to persuade anyone. We don't have to cajole or arm twist or push people. All we have to do is tell the story of what we've seen and heard in our own lives. We have to be open and authentic when people ask about what we've seen and heard. Peter doesn't pressure the Sanhedrin. He doesn't cajole them or arm twist them or push them. He lets them make their choice. But Peter gives them the choice. It, it really is about a path of integrity. And in a book I read years and years ago by Stephen Carter, the former Yale law professor, talks about integrity as involving three different things. That you have to know the truth, you have to do the truth, and you have to defend the truth. And that's what Peter and John do. They know the truth, the truth of Jesus, who Jesus is to them and what Jesus has done for them. They go out into the world and do that truth. They commit to healing the man at the beautiful gate. And then when they're brought before the Sanhedrin, they don't spin. They don't try to, to change the lens. They defend the truth. They practice a form of integrity, knowing the truth, doing the truth, and defending the truth, just like Stephen Carter talks about in his book, Integrity. Hmm. Clarity comes when we have that kind of integrity. 
integrity intersects this conversation with Peter and John and the Sanhedrin. You see, the outcome doesn't matter. Integrity matters. It doesn't matter whether the Sanhedrin are persuaded or not persuaded. It doesn't matter whether they come around or not. What matters is that Peter and John have faithfully borne witness to what they've seen and what they've heard, and that the salvation experienced by they themselves, by the man at the beautiful gate, is a salvation that the Sanhedrin can experience as well. This is why this text in the lectionary is included as a post-resurrection text, not a post-Pentecost text. Because in it, we see Peter and John imitating the very ministry of Jesus. They're representatives, apostles, those who bear witness to what they've seen and what they've heard. And that salvation, salvation comes from this man, Jesus, not because of some theological or biblical belief that Peter and John have. That may be true but because of their experience of Jesus, because they've witnessed it. And what's really fascinating in verse 12, it says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among people by which we must be saved. Notice how the way Luke tells the story in in Peter's speech, he changes to the first person right at the end. No other name that has been given among people by which we must be saved. That word for saved, sozo, yet again. We too have that same witness. We have that same choice. And the depth of our struggle is really found in Christ about whether or not we're going to be witnesses in that way. Witnesses who don't conflate talking about something as with doing something. We live in an age of social media influencers and quotes from other individuals that are bandied about everywhere. We have meetings with churches and religious groups where we talk about some of the great struggles we see within our world today. My friends, we're called not only to speak truth, but to be truth. We're called to live in the name of Jesus, to bear witness. You see, true witnesses do not confuse talking and doing. Statements are a form of action, but statements usually represent action. It requires both words and actions together. It's risky. It's risky doing this kind of work because someone someone might ask questions. Someone might want to know. Good. That's what witnesses are for. But in our lives, is anyone asking yet? Is anyone curious, curious about us? Have we, have we lived a life that's worthy of being questioned by others in the same way the Sanhedrin questioned Peter and John? Perhaps that's the challenge for us, to be such radical witnesses and representatives for Christ in the world, apostles for Jesus Christ in the world, that people would actually ask us, who are you? What are you doing? Why are you this way? And perhaps then we would be able to bear witness in action and in word. Let's pray for that day. Thanks be to God. Amen.